One of my favorite quotes I've ever heard on KBOC, I think it was a cello professor from Peabody. He said, nobody needs to eat two Thanksgiving dinners anymore. Like, so going to like a two and a half hour concert, yeah. our lives are totally different than they were when that concert format came out. That's the founder and French horn player of the Mill Avenue Chamber Players, Rose French, in the studios to talk about their upcoming performance at Red Rocks Music Festival and so much more. I'm Melissa Green. Welcome to a new episode of Heart of the Arts. So today we're joined by the founder and French horn player of Mill Avenue Chamber Players, Rose French. Thanks for joining us on Heart of the Arts today. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. So real quick, just a little icebreaker. Your last name is French. Yes. And you play the French horn. Yes. And (laughs) I know I'm just meeting you for the first time, so I kind of have to. You just got back from Europe. So were you doing French things in France? No. And I actually play the French horn because, to be honest, um, I, my parents couldn't afford to rent an instrument when I was in elementary school, and the stu- um, the band director had French horns and, you know, the other instruments that people don't want to play, like mm-hmm. bassoon, to re- um, so that I was able to use that. And so, and then I always wanted to play saxophone, and my parents said, if you stick with it, then, you know, we can, in the future, and I just loved the sound of the instrument and never changed. So, wow. yeah. The French horn is so rare. We had, in I remember in middle school band, we had like one girl playing French horn. She was probably one of the smartest of our class, too. Is there a correlation? Because my coworker from American Public Media, who like edited my scripts, he was a French horn player, just like smart as a whip. I think... You know, I think there's certain things about playing the horn that lend or lead people to go that direction. Mm -hmm. Part of it is the ability to match pitch. So there's something called audiation where you have to be able to hear the note without the sound being present so that your lips know what to do, right? Because the partials are so close together in French horn. And that's what makes it a really difficult instrument to to play. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think maybe that's why I stuck with it. Yeah, but the sound is... The challenge and the sound. Yeah, yeah. What are some of your favorite pieces that, you know, enticed you to keep playing? I love Johannes Brahms. He's one of my favorite composers. Um, Mahler. I also love Shostakovich. He didn't write very much for horn, like any great horn parts, but... Is that the... Is it a French horn in the beginning of the Festive Overture? I don't know. That just I can't remember. I can't. Now it's like, wow, when's the last time I heard Festive Overture? We played it in high school marching band one year. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I mean, the political statement. I think for Shostakovich, those big, brassy sounds, like, yes. so, you know, if you start looking back into music history and how he was, you know, just like his whole career was trashed and and yeah. then he, you know, tried to make his way back by, uh, what, what, what was his Fifth Symphony? It was The subtitle was a composer composer's response to just criticism or something like oh, that. Yeah. yeah, and it was kind of very mil- militaristic and, you mm-hmm. know, especially the last movements were just like... I went to the MIM recently for the first time and what I loved seeing was the old hunting horns. Yeah. That's part of the earliest yeah. French horn, mm-hmm. would you say? Because yep. it's just a loop. It is. I like to call it the cell phone of the 1600s. Oh my God. Because literally people would carry them on their shoulders when they went hunting. And so when I explain it to students that are in my more general music history classes or whatever, be like, you know, once they got dinner, like once they, you know, killed whatever they were out to hunt, they would have a call, right? Da 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 da. Right? So, and that's how the instrument started. And it was actually like, if you study, if you look at the history of the horn, when uh, opera started, the horn was actually considered to be too raucous to be in the orchestra, so it appeared on stage first. Oh, yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. So that's that's kind of how the the origins of the instrument. But about the mim, 
my timbre ensemble is actually featured in one of the permanent exhibits. Oh yeah, on one about timbre. And the coolest thing happened last week. I have a nephew who's in first grade, mm-hmm. and uh, his class took a field trip to the MIM, okay. and he got to see his aunt as part of the museum. So wow, yeah. Okay, what part is it? Because when I went, we got through like a good portion. Yes, it, it it is a little. I love the MIM. Um, our former clarinet player who just left town, mm-hmm. she got a job with the Grand Old Opry in Nashville. Um, <gasps> so she was the curator of education for the MIM for about 10. Katie yes, Palmer. Yes. Yeah. So, she gave me all of her music lessons oh, for kinder music. She oh, put, yeah. That's right. That's right. She put together yep. a brilliant yes. curriculum. Yes. So she. So that was the connection of how we got there. And it's in the more like European part of the museum. Okay. So, so I yeah. probably saw... Wow. But I know, I mean, I love going to the MIM, and I've taken some classes there. And, like, she's done a couple of, of curated tours for us. Mm-hmm. And so she'll pick specific areas because it is easy to get bogged down. I feel yeah. like I need to go there twice with people because, oh, like, yes. you just do, like, Africa, and then you get into Latin America before you cross the hall and get into the United States and Europe. Yeah. Because, yeah no. I missed Africa. Okay. Most of Latin America. Yeah. That's, like, where I had to wrap up. And- yeah. 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 No, it's, it's <laughs> in a, I mean, we're so fortunate to have that museum here. Yeah, I love it. And I could just, um, whatever that new exhibit is, like the Baroque guitar when you first oh, walk in. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. It's so beautiful yeah. and the crafting. Mm-hmm. Like, I love it. So, what's a day in the life for you when you're not in <laughs> Europe? Or, you know. Yeah. Um, so, I'm, I'm a full time faculty at Phoenix College. Um, I'm the coordinator of instrumental music, and so I oversee all the instrumental ensembles. Um, and, and you started that program there, right? No, I started um, I started the mariachi and steel pan ensembles that are there. Oh, cool. Yeah. And so uh, our mariachi uh, has been a big focus of mine. And we were just, the mariachi just played at the Capitol on Friday night for Mexican Independence Day. Oh. And so they were invited by the Mexican consulate to come and perform. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so I teach, I teach music history classes. I teach some music theory, uh, chamber music, our, um, our band, and then I oversee see all the other things that happen. So, and then I'm also the co-director of our Mexico faculty development program. Wow. So I've actually been doing a lot of work that's focused on um, creating binational relationships with some of our partners um, in Mexico. So, oh, wow. yeah, yeah. How fun. That's perfect for Hispanic Heritage Month, too, which yes. just started. Yes. I going to tie that in because you have a performance at with the Red Rocks Music Festival in Sedona. Yes. And I wanted to ask, since you founded the Mill Avenue Chamber Players, is your mission the same as it was when you started it 15 years ago? No. Okay. <laughs> Can you uh, brief me and other listeners sure. who don't know about yeah. like, the genesis and how it's evolved? So I I started the ensemble the last year of my doctorate. Um, wow. And I got a, um, it was actually a small business grant from ASU. It was before like arts entrepreneurship was really a thing. Right. Um, and my goal was, I realized for myself that like going the orchestral route wasn't going to work for me because I'm not a perfectionist. And like going and taking auditions and just realizing what your strengths are, mm-hmm. not a strength of mine. Mm-hmm. So, And as I was finishing my doctorate, I also realized that after I finish school, what am I going to do to continue to push myself and excel? Mm-hmm. Right. And and so I started Milav as a actually as a, a harmony ensemble. So basically a double woodwind quintet. Mm. It went great, but it failed miserably the first year. I mean, I did so much work. I was so burnt out. And so then I kind of re 
reorganized it as a woodwind quintet. Mm -hmm. And we've had some amazing partnerships over the past um, 15 years of of being an ensemble. We've um, partnered with Theater Works and the Glendale Public Library, Phoenix Public Libraries, um, Changing Hands. And so we, you know, we we have this flexibility to to reach audiences that, um, you know, aren't typically served by arts organizations or located downtown. We're able to go to other places. So the first uh, the first series actually started was at a um, church in Sun City at 930 on Wednesday mornings with coffee and pastries sitting around big banquet tables. Because it was about the idea of creating a sense of community in what we did. And so that kind of took away that, like, performer wall where you're not interacting with your audience at all. And so that's something that has remained ever since is that, you know, when we perform, we always talk about the pieces. We talk about why we've chosen them. And we've been able to, like, really build an audience that trusts us with something that I believe wholly in. It's like you're asking people to spend their time and their money with you. Right. Yes. And so how do you build a relationship that that honors that and also, you know, gives people an opportunity to get to know you, but also hear things that are interesting. And so before the pandemic, we were doing about 50 concerts a year. So I ran five. We had five different chamber music series throughout the valley. And so it was great because we, you know, we would rehearse for about a month. Um, put together one program, and then we had all these venues we would perform it in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so after the pandemic, and even now, we're still trying to figure out, like, we don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> it's just a little yeah. much. Right? And um, like But we've had some amazing opportunities. We performed not just this past summer, but the summer before in 2022 on the Walled City Music Festival, which is in Northern Ireland. Mm-hmm. Um, and also we performed in the Fayot Alamos Festival in Alamos, Mexico in uh, this past January. So we've just been able to have some really great opportunities also on the Downtown Chamber Music Series and now with the Red Rocks Festival. So we've kind of started, instead of just doing straight up concerts, we're starting to turn them into events um, that have something else with them. Um, so for the past couple of years, uh, we've done actually a concert in my backyard and my sister's a chef. Mm -hmm. And so we pair those two things together and we bring together like 30 of our favorite people and we have a a great concert in April. Um, Last year we did The Nutcracker with a comedian who rewrote the tale of The Nutcracker. Oh, cool. Yeah. um, So Genevieve Rice, um, she's amazing. And um, we're probably going to do that again and then pair it with a um, white elephant exchange afterwards. Oh, nice. So just the idea of like chamber music, but then also how can we engage with our audience more so that's not just like this one hour and, and done kind of thing. So our concerts are typically around that length because one of my favorite quotes I've ever heard on um, K-Bach was a, it was a, I think it was a cello professor from Peabody. He said, nobody needs to eat two Thanksgiving dinners anymore, right? Like, so going to, like, a two-and-a-half-hour concert, like, we just don't, you know, our lives are totally different than they were when that concert format came out. And so um, we find that that's a really great format for us and for Mm -hmm. our audience. And, you know, so um, before the pandemic, we were doing concerts at Changing Hands in Central Phoenix. And, you know, people could grab a coffee or a glass of wine and sit and hang out. And I love that place. Yeah. yeah. I live right down the street. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. Well, I'm just curious, how did the library performances go? Because I know 
it's kind of sometimes just inviting kids in, like mm-hmm. you're reading a story. And then is it kind of that salon concert idea of having that conversation with kids and whoever wants to come? Yeah, some of it. Um, so we've had a partnership for about the past 12 or 13 years with the Glendale Public Library. Mm-hmm. They have a performing arts partnership grant. And okay. so they had a series called Live at the Library that w- had been going for like 25 years and lost its funding. And so we were able to come in and partner with them. And we have some educational out- outreach concerts that we do. Um, our bassoonist is actually a composer, um, Tom Braden. And so he's written two fantastic pieces. One is uh, the Aesop's Fables, Mm -hmm. uh, and then another one is North American Folk Tales, but they're all immigrant tales that were brought to the United States. Mm -hmm. And so it's for woodwind quintet and narrator. Um, And then we've just, over the years, developed a lot of good educational programming. Um, We're actually going to do a concert later this month, or sorry, in October. Um, It's a math and music concert. So it's like all the different ways that math is used as a compositional device, like Schoenberg in a 12-tone row, and then like box crab cannon where two people can play. Start at, one person starts at the beginning, one st- person starts at the end, and they cross at one point. Yeah. Um, Debus, you know, Debussy's Syrinx that's based on the golden ratio, you know, stuff like that. So so just taking so a look cool. at music in lots of different ways. Um, Do you ever go back and talk about Pythagoras in his like music of the spheres? Oh, yeah. Because I, I mean, like that's so fascinating to me as a musician and like, you know, language is like, we really talk around those domi and soul pitches. And mm-hmm. I'm like fascinated by it. And I try to teach other people about it. And some people are like, I, I don't get that. That's not interesting <laughs> to me. And here I am thinking it's so fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Or even taking a look at like ancient Greek and Roman philosophy about how, you know, the, the music can, can affect the ethos of a person. Right. And so yeah. what intervals were avoided and why. And yeah, yeah, all that kind of stuff is really fascinating when you when you open a student's eyes to that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Or um, right now I'm teaching an introduction to music theory class, which is, it's, I think it's a lot of fun because you're really teaching people that don't have a lot of experience with music. But I, I went through and taught them like how the notation system was developed. I was like, it didn't just appear like this way, you know, know. But, but teaching them about, you know, Gregorian chant and the, the Guidonian hand where they teach you like, you know, you use your different, your different knuckles. It, they each represent a, a note name. Have you ever seen Do that? Do they? No, I didn't. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. So okay. it's like, I think this is G and then like A flat and A and then B and then you go up and around. I know you can't see this oh. on the radio, but yeah. <laughs> I've learned that from listening to so many NPR interviews. <laughs> And so I, um, I was actually just at a conference last week for, it's called the Coepes. It's for all the hi- university and college presidents for the state of Sonora. So I presented down there um, as some of the work that I'm doing both in Mexico and here. So, yeah. I, yeah. yeah. I love Arturo Marquez. Manuel Ponce mm-hmm. is, I don't know if you're familiar mm-hmm. with Ponce, yep. but piano and obviously yep. guitar sonatas. Yeah. I always get compliments when we play a Manuel Ponce sonata, you know. So actually next week we're recording... Um, for K-Bach, we're going to record the the um, Danza de Mediodía oh, of yeah, Marquez. Oh, yeah, because you guys are going to yeah, be in the studio. Yeah. Greg told me that. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, because oh. we're, we're doing it in the evening because that's where we were able to work it out when we typically rehearse. So, cool story about Arturo Marquez. Yes. Uh, he was born in Alamos in Mexico. Mm-hmm. And so we played at a festival last uh, January and we played this piece and the audience just lost their mind. Like, And th- we actually played almost all of it 
a second time right after we were done playing. Oh my you know, gosh. so they so just like honoring people's music and their culture is so important. And like having that standing ovation is what used to happen in classical music with Mendelssohn or, mm-hmm. or who, whoever, whatever kind of obscure story you read. What is your favorite space that you've performed in? Here in town? Just like, you know, your ensemble is, like you mentioned, with the libraries and um, with the salon concerts. Yeah. What has been your favorite space to perform in anywhere? Huh. Um, well, we had an opportunity. We performed in Disney Hall um, in L.A. Um, during the, the International Horn Conference a little while ago, maybe 2014, 2012, something like that. Okay. That was really cool. And then um, I have a friend who lives in the Paradise Valley area, and we've hosted some concerts at her house. Okay. And she has this big, beautiful space at the front of her house, and uh, it's set up very well for chamber music. So, oh, But then also fun. my backyard. Like, there's something really special about inviting people into your home to— With the dinner? Yeah. I'm actually going to something like that in October with the Chamber uh-huh. Music Society. Yeah, yeah. So you probably— probably worked and done that with them, right? They do the same thing. Mm -hmm. There's something, I mean, there's so many great relationships that are built that way. And they do it the night before of the concert. So all of the musicians performing Mm -hmm. the next day are there. Yeah. And it's just, like you said, kind of like 30 people gathered Mm -hmm. together. The hosts make all the food and... Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 It's cool. So let's talk about the upcoming. Well, you've got a few things coming up this month, but October 8th, um, you'll be performing in Sedona with Mill Avenue Chamber Players. You talked about like, oh, my passion was you maybe discovered it was chamber music. So how did you craft this? This particular concert? um, We wanted to give just a good representation of different things that we do and we enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. I think whenever we're we're asked to play on a, a, like a series that's not our own, mm-hmm. it's a great way for us to kind of uh, advocate and and show people what we do or what you know what we're passionate about. Mm-hmm. So um, we thought it would be a great idea to play the Marquez um, because it's really accessible um, mm-hmm. and it's it's a beautiful piece of music, but yeah. it, it it also um, celebrates you know. Um, you know, our turmeric is still alive and yeah, <laughs> he's, he lives in Hermosillo. So um, and then also uh, with our bassoonist being a, um, a composer as well, we're playing uh, p- two pieces of his. Ooh. So he uh, composed two pieces. Um, it's actually a, a set of pieces. It's five pieces called Impressions that we um, did on our last album. And the inner movements are a bit complicated and a Bit, a little bit political. So the second movement is mm. is um, quotes from the last administration, and then they're oh. written out in um, a musical cryptogram. So it's a musical device that that like, Tom uses. Like is that Brahms free but happy, happy but you know when he used those three notes in that symphony, and it was supposed to mean like happy and free. Huh. Do you know what I'm talking no. about? There were these three notes that he used. And sorry, it's just reminding me music yeah, theory. Yeah, Could yeah. you go a little bit deeper into that? And yeah. So, I mean, basically he would, each letter would be translated into a pitch. Um, and yes. so, yes. And so like Bach did the same thing. He And yeah. so, so did Shostakovich. So he, they write their, you know, Bach would use B and A and C and H in German is E flat S, right? And yes. so and Shostakovich would do the same thing and then kind of imprint that. So you take that concept and then you apply it to a, a quote, right? And so so we're not we're actually not playing that, um, but we're playing the outer movements, which are really beautiful. And the first one is uh, um, dedicated to his mom and how simple he made she made 
his childhood. And it's just Aww. beautiful. It's really special. So and then the last movement is a nocturne that's um, dedicated to his grandmother because Aww. he would go over the, to her house and, and she really exposed him to lots of different styles of music. Mm. So we're playing those two movements. <laughs> last year when we played in Alamos, I, I talked to the audience in Spanish and told them that. And it was a great feeling because the audience just, they sighed. They were like, you know, they did the same thing. Aww. They were like, oh, that's so, you know. Yeah. But being able to communicate that in, you know, in Spanish was really, really, really meaningful. And so, oh, how uh, awesome. yeah, so, so we're doing those pieces. We're also playing a piece by Amy Beach yes. on our concert. Mm-hmm. And, and then, oh, the <laughs> shout Ken- course, Kenji Bunch. Yeah, I was going to say, when you said the mm-hmm. Thomas Breeden piece was busy, how busy is it compared to the shout chorus? <laughs> the shout chorus is pretty intense. It is. It's, that's, yeah, that's the word I was describing it as in my head this morning yeah. listening to it. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's intense. It, it's a lot of fun. And we actually were supposed to—one of the reasons we programmed this particular piece is that it was going to be on the first concert that we had to cancel because of the pandemic. So we were going to play in April 2020 and never got the chance. And it's a difficult piece, but we were really excited to kind of dig into something that was unfamiliar to us and and challenging. So so it's it's nice to— yeah, we had rehearsal last Wednesday. It was like, oh, oh, okay, yeah, this is the way this works, you know. So yeah, just it's nice to have those light bulb moments again, you know. Definitely. How do you guys rehearse, and how long would it take you to? I don't want to say the word perfect, but perfect a some piece like shout chorus. Yeah, it's a I long mean, question. No, that's okay. <laughs> um, what we typically do is, I mean, we rehearse every Wednesday, and we typically give ourselves four rehearsals to put together a concert. Mm -hmm. So there's, you know, the expectation as you come in, you're familiar, you know, of course, right? You're familiar with the music, familiar with the recording, like know where everything kind of fits together. Mm -hmm. And so that we can spend a lot of time, you know, crafting it to something that feels good uh, to us. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I not... Not being a perfectionist, what I enjoy is when you're in the moment in a concert and when, you know, we're, we're communicating, of course, with each other. But, like, oftentimes I'll, like, wink at Nick or, like, you know. And so it's just, like, yeah. the being present with each other and then having this really great musical experience is really important. Because you're all one unit yeah. without the conductor. Exactly. Kind of like Orpheus, you mm-hmm. know, and you're just, like, yeah, doing those visual cues and yeah. the, the yeah. sniffs and yeah. whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But just being able to connect with each other as as a performance is happening, you know, I think it just speaks to, like, how important the, the ensemble has been for all of us. I mean, it's something that we've talked about. Like, it's the thing that continues to help us drive forward and become you know, even better musicians. You know, I that's something yeah. I've always wondered. It's like, what would I do without my lab to continue to grow and, you know, become better? And, you know, once you finish a doctorate and you're performing at that level, it's it's hard to keep that up keep every day. Up yeah. And, like, you don't <laughs> have four hours to sit exactly. in a practice room yep. anymore. No, I know. With which is okay because because muscle memory comes back. It does. And then you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I remember the B section. I also wanted to mention that you uh, have published two books. Yes. Um, Range Songs mm-hmm. and then Horn Players Songbook. Um, is that another one of the many things that's just, as artists and musicians or radio hosts, we're all doing side projects yeah. all the time. So my uh, kind of wrap-up question, like, what are you working on now and looking forward to for either the rest of the year, the next year from now? Um, one of the, well, there's two things. Uh, the, the books that I published, the second one is actually based on Kodai. 
Mm. which being in early music uh, yep. education, you'd appreciate. But it actually works really well uh, with horn as far as the uh, introducing uh, intervals. And, you know, so Kodai starts with sol and me and then adds la, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Your face is beaming right <laughs> I now. So I, and, and that was, I, uh, my music ed degree was very Kodai based. Same. And so um, what I, I used to do a lot more work um, in the horn world. And I realized that when you get into academia and international conferences, nobody's focusing on like beginning and intermediate students. And so when I was doing my doctorate, I actually wanted to write a new method book for beginning horn players because the last one was written almost 60 years ago at that point. Yeah. And so it just goes to show like how neglected, you know, and we're all using standards of excellence. And for horn players, that's like gouging your eyes out because, you know, it's either too high or too low. Um, And so this was just a way to introduce um, folk music. And one of the things as I was teaching over the years is I realized that my students Students did not know any folk music anymore. Mm-hmm. And so uh, a way to introduce that that concept, um, one of the things that I'm, I'm working on is either having those uh, published for all instruments, the uh, horn player songbook, and then uh, or coming out with a second edition wow. um, uh, that features more international folk music that's around that same concept. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the big things I've been working on this past year is a lot of work in Mexico. And I'm actually uh, co-directing this faculty development program and then also creating some bi-national. We're probably going to have an international mariachi festival at Phoenix College in Ooh. April. Oh, cool. Yeah. And then also creating opportunities for our students um, to do uh, exchanges with some music students at the University of Sonora in Hermosillo. And then there's a youth orchestra in Guaymas and also a conservatorio in Guaymas that I'm doing some work with. So wow. those are the big projects that I'm working on for this year outside of, of Milav. That when I did this faculty development program, it really helped me realize how important being a Hispanic serving institution is. Mm-hmm. And all 10 of our community colleges are Hispanic serving institutions. But when I started, we had no performing arts that reflected our students. Mm-hmm. And so that's been a really big reflection point for me is is celebrating Hispanic culture and Hispanic art. And so last spring, the mariachi performed at graduation and everybody started meeting clapping, parents, you know, everybody in the audience. But then a student in his robe got up and started dancing. Oh. And then other students started to join them because they were being celebrated for who they are yeah. in this in this kind of very traditional setting. And oh. so it's uh I mean, it just it's it's really helped me solidify, you know, the importance of, of of celebrating that, and also getting beyond Western art music in our in our music programs. Well, that's beautiful. It was so nice to officially meet you. You too. Thanks for coming on the podcast, and I look forward to hearing more from you and this amazing community. Thank you. That's the founder and French horn player of Mill Avenue Chamber Players, Rose French. You can find tickets and more information about their upcoming concerts at redrocksmusicfestival.com or millavchamberplayers.com. For KBOX Heart of the Arts, I'm Melissa Green.